the number one question I've got this morning is, how'd you get stuck with this topic? Um, and to be truthful, Drew was out of town. Um, but, but honestly, um, this is something I've looked forward to, to talking about, because this is a huge issue. And so I want to say this, um, you know, I see some young people in the room, and I am not here to, if you haven't had that talk with your kids, I am not going to have that for you. Um, I'm, this is not a, t- a way to replace that, that obligation that you have, but, uh, but we are going to be talking about sex, and I want to start with this, this question. Have you ever wished that you could, you could go back to your childhood and do things different? Um, my dad was always trying to get me to, to help him fix things around the house, okay? So he and a, f- a friend of his, they were always, you know, together working on what needs to be fixed and they would buy new tools and they would try to figure it out together and he wanted me to kind of join in with that with him and you know you put a ball in my hand and I knew what to do with it put a tool in my hand and I had no clue and so it wasn't anything I was good at so I didn't really want to do it and so I always would fight against it and avoid it and I would choose to do anything clean my room homework whatever um, to to get out of doing those kinds of things because I didn't enjoy it and then, and then I get to be an adult and I have my own home and all of a sudden, all those things that he was trying to teach me, I wish I could go back and learn them. And so you know what this is like. The choices that you make when you're young just kind of affect you and, and uh, take you in a direction you don't want to go when you're older. Let me say it this way, that there are things that we do, there are things that we are doing um, that are doing something to us that we don't want. It's kind of like boys and video games. The more they get consumed with this um, fiction world, with a false reality, the less in touch with reality they become. It's like girls and social media. The more they are consumed with what others think about them, the less they will like themselves. That's true. It's like men and work. The more we get consumed with work, the less connected we can, we can be with our families, which we don't want. It's like women in Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, my wife just told me yesterday, they start up in a week. So I've been praying the Lord would return even more intently since that moment. In a week, I got a whole, uh, talk about losing touch with the reality. But anyway, um, there, there are things that we are doing that are doing something to us that we ultimately don't want. And when it comes to this issue, I don't have to tell you how how messed up the world is. But, but I'm not here to talk about how messed up they are. We need to talk about how, how we've messed this, this area up, how we're hurting in this, not just the church, but Sunnybrook, our church, us. Like we're hurting in this. And we approach this, this topic as in, in all kinds of different ways. I'm a man that approaches this topic. I'm, I'm also a husband. I'm also a father. So I recognize that several of you are coming at this topic in lots of different ways, and you have lots of different questions. And so my hope is that we would just begin to scratch the surface and that would lead to greater conversations that would ultimately, that there would be this radical yet healthy view of sex and sexuality. Radical to the world, but not really radical to God. And so I want to tackle basically two questions. What are we up against when it comes to this topic? Like, what's happening around us that's influencing us? And then, 
What does God have to say about it? Like, why has he designed it? Why has he given it? So what are we up against? Well, the world says it's nothing. It says it's nothing. It says it's a basic craving or a need to be fulfilled whenever by whoever. That's how the world describes this culture. It kind of expects it. You know, anytime you turn on the TV and anytime sex is portrayed, it's rarely portrayed in, in, in marriage context. It's most often portrayed with two people who aren't married. It's just kind of assumed and it's expected. College, you know, college, those years when you just kind of sow wild oats. It's, I hear parents talk like that. It's just kind of ex- uh, uh, expected and assumed. Pornography and sexually explicit material are rampant and readily available. Um, y- young people can, can trade nude pictures as like currency. And every single one of us that has a smartphone within seconds could be viewing pornography. That's how... That's crazy. So culture has been preaching this. It's not that big a deal message for a long time. Um, Amber Lapp in her her article, this article, Freeing Love, in which she describes culture's uh, conflicted and confused understanding about sex, she quotes a friend of hers, she calls her Jessica, throughout the whole article. And this is what, listen to Jessica describe perfectly how our our culture kind of views sex. She says, sex is just sex, regardless of who it's with. You can make it mean something if you want it to mean something. But other than that, if you don't don't want it to, it's just sex. Um, And it's not gonna mean anything. You don't even have to call the person the next day. She said, that's what makes us human. Every other animal in the world only has sex to procreate, but we have the freedom to just use each other for our own personal gain. Now I say that at church and it sounds crazy, but we leave these walls here on the radio, it doesn't sound so crazy, it sounds pretty normal. Sex is viewed as this consumer right, that that, that I have a right to to it and that it's, it's for my consumption. We love our rights. We love our rights in America and, and so we, we hold this up as something that Everybody has the right to whenever and with who. And and even when I say that, I think in my head, I can't believe I'm saying that. That sounds crazy. I wonder if you do too. Just to to give you an idea of how, maybe how far from God's standard we can become. Later on, this girl Jessica, um, she goes on to describe that that when, when sex happens in a relationship, it just changes things. She says, the more she likes a guy, the longer she puts it off. Why? Because she wants to make sure he's in it for the right reasons. Because it just changes things after that happens. And then at the very end of the article, she, um, Amber describes Jessica dis- talking about a, a coworker friend of, of hers, a guy who was recently married to his, to his wife, and the two of them save themselves from marriage, and he adores her and Jessica in tears, telling Amber how much she longs to be adored like this husband adores his wife. And Jessica is, is conflicted, and she's confused about sex, just like our culture, because our culture says it's nothing, but then acts like it's everything. I mean, that's the trick. 
It acts like it's everything. You don't have to know um, that we're in a sex-saturated culture, that it's everywhere we go. It's, it's in stores, in songs, in sports, on billboards, on the beach, in movies, in YouTube, Netflix, your phone, computer, all over the mall, magazines. It's anywhere your eyes and ears go. It's, it's, being, it's bombarding you. And it's selling everything. I mean, advertisers have, have tapped into the, the power of suggestion and seduction for a reason, because it works. I mean, they sell things like airlines, web hosting, floor cleaners, flavor water, fast food hamburgers. You ever, you ever watch these commercials and they're so explicit? And you're, you're intrigued by how insulted you are. I mean, there's this, like, they're, they're not even hiding hamburgers. Like, it, the reason it works is because we've bought into a lie. There's this lie that says that the ultimate human pursuit, the ultimate human endeavor is personal happiness. And what's central to my personal happiness is romance and sex. That's why it is a consumer good. That's why it is a, a, a fundamental right that we have. As, that's why it's seen. And that's why it sells and that's why it works. And so it's no surprise that when when the ultimate human endeavor is my personal happiness and sex and romance is at, 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 the, at the heart of that, then I should have the right to personal happiness, don't I? And so everything can be changed now according to this ultimate endeavor. And definitions can be changed. And so marriage is redefined and you wait. It'll, it'll continue to be redefined as long as we keep personal happiness as central. But there are things that we believe and, and, and therefore things that we are doing that are doing something to us that ultimately we don't want. And so the reason we shouldn't Google it is for obvious reasons, but also because we need to, we need to wake up to the reality that this world is bombarding us with a message that is just a lie. And our understanding of sex needs to be baptized because we have for so long maybe thought, well, if I just keep culture at an arm's distance, then I'll be good, right? The, the problem with that is if God's standard is here and we keep, we keep culture at an arm's distance, what happens when culture moves? I'm still keeping culture at an arm's distance. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that bad. I'm not like them. I don't watch all the things that they watch. You, you realize like 20, 30 years ago, TV producers wouldn't dare put things on TV that we watch and we see as normal. It just keeps moving and moving. And not, I'm not saying there was a time in which culture was right next to God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that when we view our holiness as, as distance from culture instead of proximity to God, we, we get all kinds of things messed up. And so what we need is we need sex to be lifted up out of the dirt and the darkness. And we need it to be, we also need it to be removed from the throne to which our culture has placed it, in which many of us honestly bow down to worship. And we need to see it for the way God has de designed it and given it in his proper place. Because it's a beautiful thing for a beautiful purpose. 
So what is that purpose? Well, God designed it to be important. He designed it to be important. And so we're gonna, I'm going to spend the majority of my time in this section. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But I want to, I want, I want to point out the fact that we have been in this, the study of Matthew for now, for about a year, year and a half. And we've paused in chapter 19 because, because of what Jesus says about um, men and women and marriage and sex and divorce. And so some really important things. And, and Jesus says this. In Matthew 19, quoting Genesis 2, Jesus says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What does that mean? Well, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 6 goes on to describe what, what Jesus is talking about. And, and Paul is writing to a church, okay, in Corinth, who is struggling with sexual immorality. So I think it's fitting for us today. Paul goes on, and Paul is going to define for us what one flesh is. He's going to give us a beautiful picture of this. But also, in doing so, he's going to confront two opposing views of sex. And the first one comes, is this one, and it comes from culture, and it says that sex is a craving that we should satisfy. Sex is a craving that we should satisfy. And so, notice what Paul's going to do, and starting in verse 12, he's going to quote a worldly philosophy a worldly idea, and he's gonna give a rebuttal. Verse, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, he's quoting, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul says, not all things are helpful. In other words, just because you can doesn't mean you should because there are things that you do that are doing something to you that you ultimately don't want. Then he says, and I will not be dominated by anything. Paul's saying, when you and I become the boss of us, then we become slaves to the very things that we can't control within ourselves, our own passions, lusts, temptation. And Paul says, it will dominate you. So now he's starting at a general level, okay? And he's gonna work down to, to our topic. Now, the next verse I need to say, verse 13, I believe the, the ESV puts the quotation in the wrong place, the end of the quotation. I, I believe the whole sentence is quoted. The whole sentence is a quotation from a worldly philosophy. In other words, it shouldn't be after food, it should be after the word other. So here's how I believe Paul meant it. He quotes the world, food is, for, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. In other words, the world is saying, listen, just like, just like food, we, we're hungry, we eat, we want to have sex, we have sex, listen, and, it, and it doesn't matter. It's a craving, and ultimately, it's just our bodies, and our bodies are going to be destroyed in the end anyway. Listen to Paul's rebuttal. But the Lord is not meant, or sorry, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise all raise will also raise us up by his power. So Paul's rebuttal is that sex is not just a craving of the body that we should satisfy like food. It was never meant for sexual immorality. Now that word sexual immorality used throughout all of the New Testament is this Greek word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography. And it literally means sexual experiences outside of marriage. 
Paul could have used a word that meant adultery, sex with another man's wife, but he chose not to use that word. He chose to use porneia. So he's saying the body was not meant for sex outside of marriage. The body was meant for the Lord. What's he mean by that? We'll come back to it. But notice what he says. And this, this, this whole idea of God destroying the body so it doesn't really matter what you do to it isn't true, Paul says. He says God will, will not just destroy the body and its cravings in the end. He will raise it to be with the Lord someday. So here's what Paul's saying. It matters what you do with your body. It matters. Why? Why is sex such a big deal to God? He goes on, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of the, of a, with a prostitute? Never. Now, don't get distracted by this word prostitute, okay? Because in, in Paul's day, there weren't adult, mingles, or adult singles who liked to mingle. Got that mixed. That, that wasn't a thing. They weren't just adults who weren't married. In, in Paul's culture, the idea of family was such a big deal. To be a part of a family was such a huge central idea that you were either married or a widow, temporarily, usually, or you were a prostitute. So he's talking to men in the church who, who are having sex outside of marriage, and the only way to do that in Paul's day was with a prostitute. So that's what he's saying. Verse 16, or do, not, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So do you see what Paul's comparing here? He's comparing our union with Christ with a union that takes place when two people have sex. In other words, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation, you became one with him. It wasn't just a prayer you prayed. It wasn't a, just a, an idea you believed. You became one with him. It was a whole life oneness that deeply united us with him. And it begins to change and transform us for the rest of our life. That we become someone different, a new creation in Christ. Likewise, sex is not just a, a, a physical act for pleasure or for procreation, but, but sex is a physical oneness that was given to deepen a whole life oneness. It's a whole body commitment that was given to deepen a whole life commitment. It's a self-giving act given for the purpose of two people who have decided to give themselves to each other for life. That's the context in which God gave it. And it's amazing. It's beautiful in its proper context. The Bible says, this is what Tim Keller says in the meaning of marriage. He says, the Bible says, do not unite with someone physically unless you are also willing to unite with the person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically naked and vulnerable to, to the other person without first becoming vulnerable in every other way. Sex is not a consumer good. It's a covenant good. Sex is a consumer good becomes idolatry, leads to idolatry. Sex is a covenant good glorifies God. Now, uh, in, in another sermon, um, 
by Tim Keller, a sermon called Love and Lust. It's a great sermon, but he, in it, he describes four forms of sexual uh, idolatry. Four, four ways that you might be making this an idol. And, and so let, let me get into these. First one is this, pornography and masturbation. You couldn't get any more opposite of the purpose of sex than, than that. Like, it's all selfish. It's self-driven and self-motivated. The second one, he says, is sex outside of marriage. Any sex that's not in the context of a covenant-committed marriage is for consumption only. It's not, it's not two people who have let go of their independence. It's, it's someone saying, no, I want to keep my independence, and I just want to, like Jessica says, use the other person for my own personal benefit. Verse three, or the second one, sorry, the third one, third one, is this idea that you can't be whole without having sex. You can't be a whole person. That, that you, this is the only way to be fulfilled as a human. Like the, to say that we need anything other than God to be whole is idolatry. It's foolish. And the last one, a fairy tale marriage. If your future happiness is wrapped up in some fairy tale view of love and marriage and family, then, then this has become an idol for you. And listen, this is why Paul strongly urges us in this next verse to flee. Because it's not just that it's hurting us, okay? That's not his focus. We aren't the center of, his, of what he's after. It's like it's, it's taking us away from God. It's idolatry that is the problem. And it's, so he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. And Paul strongly urges to flee, to run from this because of where it takes you. It takes you down a path that you don't want to go. And it's destructive and it leads to idolatry. And notice what he says about the body. This is, this is a radical idea uh, in, in Paul's day. Like he, in Paul's day, the idea of the body, the flesh was just kind of eh. Um, they, they lived in this dualistic understanding of spirit is good, flesh is bad. And so Paul is saying, listen, like your body is a beautiful thing and what you do with it matters to God. But notice what he says, let me recap. The body was not meant for sex outside of marriage. The body was meant for the Lord and will be raised someday. What you do with your body matters to Jesus. Sex outside of marriage stands against the body, sins against the body, hurts your body and others involved. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And your body was bought with a price. And so because Jesus bought it with his blood, he now asks you to use it to bring glory to God. So let me ask you a question. Thinking back on your, your, your week, um, those of you who've placed your faith in Jesus, can you say that, that you've used your body to bring glory to God? That has, that has implications in all kinds of areas. 
Could you say you've used your body to bring glory to God? It's a tough question. Paul moves into chapter seven, and when he does, he moves into arguing or, or actually opposing the second um, conflicting idea about sex. This time, it's not from culture. It's from the church. So the church's wrong view is this. The sex is bad and should be avoided altogether. Look at, look at chapter seven, verse one. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man to not have sex, sexual relations with a woman. In other words, the church is saying, okay, so if, if this is, if we're messed up in this area, and if, if, if this is just such a bad thing, then maybe we should just avoid it altogether. And Paul's rebuttal is this. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, there's that word again, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may be that you may be devote that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come together again so that satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self control so paul says to their question should we just avoid sex because it's bad paul says no it's not bad and it should not be avoided in marriage and paul goes on not only has he has he lifted sex up to be this thing that deepens a, a lifelong commitment and, and, and connects you to someone in a way that you can't really even explain or understand? But he also speaks about it in very practical ways. He says, listen, it also, it protects a marriage. It protects from, from outside forces coming in. Like, Paul's goal isn't that everyone have great sex. That's not what he's getting at. Paul knows that when he has a, a marriage that is deeply connected and healthy and strong, that there's a family that's strong. And when families are strong, a church is strong. And when a church is strong, it can stand for the gospel in a dark and dying world. It can be a light for Christ and a witness for him. Like Paul's, Paul wants the church to be this bright, shining light in a dark, um, destructive world. So that's what Paul's after. And he knows, what it, he, and he's describing what it means to have a healthy marriage and sex life. And he's saying, listen, this, this should be a part of your life. This should be a consistent part of your life. Now, you notice what he said about the body? So married people, like not only does your body belong to the Lord, but your body also belongs to your spouse. He, say, he even says, you do not have authority over your own body. Like, that's crazy in our world. That's crazy talk in, in, in outside these walls. But, but Paul's understanding of marriage is two people who've given up their independence, who, who've decided to deny themselves to serve the other, to put the other's needs ahead of their own. So when two people who've decided to put the other's needs ahead of their own that's not crazy, that's beautiful. Because there isn't abuse in that setting. There isn't um, wrong expectations in that setting. 
there's love and service and deep connection and unity. Now, I want to stop because I, I believe there are probably um, several marriages, and I would say even more than maybe half um, wives in this are going, okay, there's another man talking about sex from the stage. Um, it's true, but I'm quoting Paul, who was also a man, but he was a single man. And he chose to be single, meaning Paul never had sex. So he's, he, he, he never experienced this. So obviously this wasn't the ultimate goal for him. Later on, and we'll get to this next week, later on he says, I wish, I wish actually some of you were more like me, single, so you could be more devoted to the, things of this, uh, to the things of God, to the kingdom of God. So his goal is not that everybody have this amazing thing. His goal is ultimately that the church would be a powerful witness for Jesus. So I recognize that there are several married people in this, that this is a source of, of struggle for you. This is a sore topic, and, and so I just want to ask you, I just want to ask that you would begin to pray, and maybe continue to pray, and not give up praying, that God would help you see what God has designed this to be for your marriage, that you would, we'd stop looking around, that you would, that, that marriages would stop bringing in outside ideas, and, and start looking to God, say, God, what have you designed it to be? Why have you given this to us? I pray that you would continue to pray that prayer and start if you haven't already. But I also want to say to single people, like, all of us have this obligation as a follower of Jesus, okay? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's, that's, that's the call on all of our lives. Like, we were bought with a price. And we're to glorify God with our body. And so as, as single people, you can who are looking to be married, you can begin to, all of us actually, but you can begin to serve others, put others' needs ahead of your own, and that will be a very natural and normal thing when you get married. You can actually start now practicing to have great sex when you're married someday, if the Lord wills, by just giving of yourself and serving others and putting others' needs ahead of your own. So, God's design for sex is that it is important, but, but it's not everything. It's not everything. Notice uh, in our verses, he says, the body was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He also says, you are not your own. He says, you were bought with a price and honor God with your body. The ultimate human experience okay, is to be known and to know our creator, to be satisfied in him. That's what God has designed us for, to be in relationship with him, to represent him like we learned a couple of weeks ago, and to carry out the responsibilities that he's given us. So the ultimate human experience is to know and be known by God, to, 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 to delight in him, to have a relationship with him. That, that's, that's why I believe, okay, our desire for intimacy with another person which is a God-given thing, which is a good thing, which every single person in here can experience because of the church, because of the family of God. But our desire for intimacy with, with, with another, whether you're married or not, is a reminder of, it's a reflection of, it's pointing to something greater that we need. 
which is intimacy with God. Something that we will have for the rest of our life. Something that will be eternal. And intimacy with true intimacy uh, in a marriage can only happen as, as two people give of them, deny themselves for the other. In the same way, true intimacy with God only happens as you deny yourself for him. That's what Jesus said, come to me, follow me. Um, he says, if you wanna follow me, you gotta pick up your cross, you gotta deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow me. Like this is, a, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Like we put to death the, our, our hopes and dreams for ourselves, and we start to embrace his hopes and dreams for us. So when we, when we look to romantic sex, romance or sex to, to satisfy some deeper longing that God can only satisfy, we will always come up empty and broken. Great sex is a terrible um, slave if that's all you're after. And when we look to our marriages, or if, if we're married, we look to our spouses to somehow fulfill this, this greater, deeper need for connection with God, we will, we will put unrealistic burdens on them and they will on us and we will be disappointed and disillusioned. And God was the only one meant to fulfill. And so when God is who we're after, when we recognize the things that he's given, it bec- he becomes enough for us. And then we'll begin to put sex or abstinence in its proper place as just something that God has called us to, as a season that God has us in. Nothing more and nothing less, but he is who we're after. And in the same way that when we make Jesus who we're after, like it says in Colossians 3, fix your eyes on him. Like when, when we focus on him and we we let go of the things of this world, the, the things of this world begin to find their proper place in light of him. And when he becomes who we're after, then the things that we are doing, this works both ways, the things that we do begin to do something to us that we desperately want. And that's to be who he's created us to be, to be in right relationship with him because of Jesus. So I, I know that this has been that this subject that comes with it lots of, lots of baggage. That there are some that have been abused and hurt by this subject, by, by, by this topic, by things that have happened in your past. I believe that there are those struggling with this, married or not. I believe that this, this has implications in our church across the board. And so I, I wanna remind you of the grace and the forgiveness and the, the redemption and the restoration that, that, that comes as we turn to Jesus, as we change our mind about the things that we're believing and the, and the ways in which we're living, and we turn to him. And I know several of you, because I've talked to many, I know several are saying, yeah, but I, I've been trying to overcome this for years, and it's not happening. I believe God's grace is sufficient, and I believe that confession needs to be made And as we confess our sins to one another, that we can be healed. And as we confess our allegiance to Jesus continually, that he can can lift our eyes up out of the dirt and the muck in this world and focus in on him and all of a sudden put us in right, proper place. Because the goal isn't to, to love 
sex less. The goal is ultimately to love him more. Let him take care of your other loves, but to love him more. And he'll put everything in proper place. Now, I don't say this as a pastor who's been above these struggles. There's been times in my life where I I can say all four of these forms of sexual idolatry have been true in my life, all four. So I I don't say this as just a pastor telling you what to do. I say this as a man who's been broken but has found healing and redemption in, in the cross and freedom from things that enslave. So when I, I wanna ask you, like I don't know where you're at, but I wanna ask here in a moment, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna get on my knees. I'm gonna ask that if you're, if you're able and if you're willing to get on your knees to pray, and if not for you, pray for the marriages in our church, pray for the young people in our church, pray for the college students and the singles in our church, um, but pray that we would become a light for this community, that as we focus our eyes on him, that we would love the things of this world less and less, but it would ultimately help us be a greater witness to Jesus in this city. So if you're willing, if you're able, please join me in prayer. God, we need you desperately to to recognize the condition in which we are, recognize the messages that we bought into, the lies in which we bought into. God, may we draw back to you into how you've designed us to be. God, help us to just commit and fully um, confess areas that, that of brokenness in our life. I pray that we would rely on each other as a church, that we would confess our sins to one another, that in that process, God, that we would find he- grace and healing in your arms. I pray that we would turn to the cross, a place in which we can find this forgiveness and grace and freedom, freedom from the chains that shackle us. God, I pray that we would find freedom in you. I pray that marriages would have conversations that need to be had. Young people would have conversations that, that, God, in all these things, that we would bring glory to you and that ultimately, God, we can be a light and a witness in this world of what it means to, to put you in the center, to look to you as the greatest, the greatest pursuit that we could ever pursue in this world. And may we be satisfied in you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe Jim is somewhere and he has something to say. That posture for prayer is harder when you get older, isn't it? Um, I don't mean physically. I mean, the older we get, just the more that it's hard for us to submit. Uh, We are halfway through the series, and we've talked about manhood and womanhood, and now sexuality, and uh, I want you to know that 
one of the reasons why um, we're having different of our ministers speaking to these issues is not because I'm afraid to deal with them. I, I think it is good for us to hear from a multitude of voices about what it means. And I'm just grateful. Did Scott not do a great job today? First service, they, yeah, they applauded for him. I was blessed uh, to hear Morgan's words last week while I was in Mexico and uh, just truly grateful. But here, here's my, my challenge. We're halfway through. Um, we have the easy ones now, singleness, marriage, and divorce coming up. What we're not trying to do is sensationalize this. Hey, we're a cool church. We want to talk about sex and marriage and manhood. And No, what we want to do is keep it in its rightful place. Jesus the king. This is how God made us. And we, we are praying desperately that we as the people of God are going to respond to this. And, and I guess here is something I have been praying for is that like you're not there white knuckling this. You know, kind of holding onto the bottom of the seat. Not talking about it with your spouse. I don't want to talk about what it means to be a woman. I don't want to open up. I don't want to talk about what it means to be a man. I don't need to remind me that I'm a failing representative and not being responsible. I don't want to hear about, I don't want to hear about sex. I mean, I know that we don't have it anymore, but I don't want to hear about it. Um, I know that I've failed you, and that I'm, I just, but I don't want to talk about it. I mean, that's, that's not how we handle these things. And I really am hoping and praying that, that you are talking about this, that you are praying about this, that we really will be a transformed people as the words of God are, are, are given to us. And so I just want to remind you again that at the end of this service, um, there are always people that want to continue this conversation. I really would say, for those of you that are married, that these are very important conversations that we have with our spouses about what it means to be a man and a woman and what it means to have a, a healthy, biblical, it's not everything, but it's something valuable and important. These are conversations that need to happen. And I pray that we are. Uh, I loved, I don't need to end in prayer because Scott has already done that. Um, but it is so important that you know that there is a room and a group of people um, that would love to continue this faith conversation with you. So um, please always know, you can always walk this way instead of that way. And even if you walk that way, I strongly recommend that you find um, some people that you can trust and that you can learn from and share with who will help you know what it means to follow God, okay? Fall Festival Wednesday, so party in the parking lot. Can't wait to see you there. And uh, we will see you on Wednesday. Love you guys. God bless.